getting even, payback, vengeance. It's amazing how we are so entertained. Millions are entertained by movies and on, on and on TV programs which revolve around getting payback, revenge. They're entertaining. And the reason is, is that there is within us a desire for payback and for justice. We're wired for justice. Problem is, when Adam and Eve fell, we all fell hard. <laughs> and there percolates within us impulses for justice, justice impaired. That's what happened in the fall. So being imago dei in the image of God, wonderful, but the fall has come in to besmirch, to distort, to ruin, to get even, entertained by it. Now there are two ways that justice, getting even, can come about. Well, there is personal, we know what that's like, the greater and less degrees. And then we have God-ordained justice. We mustn't discount that. Be sure you don't check out before next week's message when we get into Romans 13. This is not a message on pacifism. <laughs> this is an assertive action of justice done God's way is what is asked of us in this passage. Overcoming evil with good. Now, Let's get in the swing of it. When you begin the book of Romans, you have a great river of truth. We've done a slight, shall I say, injustice to the whole book by not having walked through it right before we got to Romans 12. But let me give you a, let me give you a drone look. <laughs> At where we've, where, what's in these first 11 chapters and why we're at verses 19, 20, and 21 is that this great river of truth that flows through the book of Romans begins with a calamity, the calamity of depraved human hearts and universal sinfulness. If you were orchestrating, if you were writing a score for the book of Romans, I can tell you it'd be sort of like dum, 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 dum. <laughs> It would be, maybe that's what Beethoven had in mind, the darkness of these opening chapters of Romans 1 to 3. But then, let's bring in some Mozart. <laughs> then there is the light of the gospel, joy in what God has provided in Romans 4, 5, 6, all the way up through 11, actually. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope. What Christ has done, we don't have to any longer be slaves to sin and the personal pursuit of vengeance. Now we're at the doorway of Romans 12. God has made it possible through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to overcome evil, the evil of sin, the evil of suffering, the evil of death. And Romans in chapter 12 stands on this platform of all that's come now before it, and now from going through the chapter, where we are today, it stands on the shoulders, verses 19, 20, 21, stand on the shoulders of what's been said thus far. That we can summarize it this way, as I've tried, I've 
title this message, Overcoming Evil with Good. How do you do that? What's that mean? Now, there is a way, if I may come back to my river metaphor, there is a way through the fast water, the rapids in front of us. I've been in situations like that, where you are in calm waters and then you begin to hear something ahead, and it gets scary. Well, through the fast waters, the rapids, if you will, how to navigate through the challenges of opposition in a sin-plagued world. Getting along with other people. Not easy, is it? You had any trouble with that this week? Yeah, somewhere, somehow. If, if just square one, dealing with oneself. I'm a difficult person. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> and so we're plagued with this opposition in a sin-plagued world. And Satan has a lot of forces at his disposal to shipwreck us. He rules the sept with the scepter of evil, but he is never God's equal. Never. Now, what we're looking at now, we narrow the focus down, we're right putting our toes in the waters of verses 19, 20, and 21, especially 20 and 21, is that the impulse to get even, to settle the score, that is corrected, that is supervised, to be supervised by God's wisdom. Thank the Lord for that. There is a way to navigate the, the cataracts. There will be times, and I'm going to narrow it down even further. I'm not going into, you know, reconciliation and the new birth in detail. That's been done. But there are times when we're being, we will be called on to live by what is called one-sided forgiveness. You know what that is? Ken Sandy in his book on the Peacemaker calls it positional forgiveness. He has two terms that he describes forgiveness with. There is positional forgiveness and there is um, trans transitional. That is that this, we go along in life forgiving. Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Over and out. Now, that's not the only verse on forgiveness, but it says immediately, do this, do this. Yes, there are other steps, but start there. Luke 6 and 28. Bless those who curse you Pray for those who abuse you. Got it. I hope we did. Acts 7, 60. And falling to his knees, Stephen, being martyred, stones, stones greater in size than a man's hand, falling upon his sensitive flesh, pulverizing him, bleeding, dying, with lingering thoughts, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, had said this, he fell asleep. Now this one-sided forgiveness or positional forgiveness is unconditional. We got to do it. We can't say, well, give me a little time to think about it. I got to get over this. I got to do these feelings. No. I will say that we are guaranteed 
effect an effective guarantee of a vaccine against personal vengeance, bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking, along with malice. You hear my words, I'm echoing Ephesians 4, the latter verses of that chapter. That's the effective vaccine, okay? How do you feel when you get a shot? <laughs> well, let's go forward. Don't let sin ruin your life. Don't let it happen. And we've all been offended. And we will be offended. It may happen before you, this morning is over. That's the way things happen in a fallen world. And I could pause right here for, are you trying to get even? Am I? Is there, do I have some strategy, an agenda? Let's think about it. You know, some people live their entire li lives committed to an agenda of anger and getting even. In varying ways. Entire lives. I've seen it. We've all been offended and we'll be offended. But you know what? We've got to put some life jackets on. They're available. And we're given one. That's what we have in 19 and 20 and 21 of Romans 12. The life jackets of forgiveness when we're wronged. If we don't, we'll be pulled under the current by those who have harmed us. You ever tried to save a drowning person or been trained to do so? You know that you've got to do things to protect yourself from becoming part of the drowning experience. We might call some of these people, there are different ways to describe them, destroyers, spear throwers. Think of Cain in, Roman, in Genesis 4. Was he a destroyer? Blew up the family. Oh, you like this. First family blows up, kills his brother. But shoo, let's fast forward through human history down to our experiences in our own day and time. And may it be a sexual abuser in your past, in your home, or someone you know and love. May it be a trusted person in the church who is to some degree or another a spear thrower, destroyer, or wronged you. She may be someone who's told untruths about you, maybe even tarnished your reputation. A betrayal by a friend. And to my teenage friends, this can happen at any time, but I think of, <laughs> it does happen. Someone stole the affection of your boyfriend or girlfriend. Adults, don't never minimize the impact of that kind of thing. Some live their entire lives carrying an agenda of revenge. Maybe it's just an avenge, a vengeful attitude toward males, men, or women. Oh, it can go deep and it can go wide. Well, the pain infliction can start early in life. If we could, we wouldn't want to do it. It would be hanging out too much dirty laundry. Your own upbringing, your home. I don't know how much baggage you and I, we came to. Um, we, we've come to in a, in a marriage, in life. How much baggage from your growing up years? It can be painful. It can be as a result of poor sibling relationship, 
parental abuse, and I don't mean just physical abuse, but a lot of other kinds of abuse. So I don't, I don't think any of us really get to a, a certain point in life where we're just unscarred, don't have scabs, don't have wounds. Bring on Romans 12, 19 through 20. You want to look at it with me now? Let's look at this text and see what it said. And then I'm going to point out in doing this, I'm going to point out two, two, at least two principles, two truths that I think come up in the soil of these three verses. Noting especially 20 and 21. Let's, let's look at it. Never take your own revenge, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved. That's not just a courtesy there. He's reminding them of what? It's blinking, love, love. You're loved, you are to love, we are loved. Love one another, beloved. So do not, never take your own revenge. Anybody got a Scottish heritage here? <laughs> not all of it's pretty. The motto of Scotland is, no one treads on me unpunished. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but you see, revenge is natural, but it's not an option for the believer. All right, we're, we're caught in a good way to recognize, uh, hopefully, our need for what God says. He says, but leave room for the wrath of God. Don't get in the way. Don't say... Lord, would you just hold off? Let, I can take care of this. And I've got some good ways of doing it. And you know, even when the best intentions in, in what we may think is justice and a payback, they're always injustice. Well, we're not perfect. We don't see everything. We don't, we don't see the outcome. We don't see what led up to it. We don't know motives. We, we don't know what we don't know. So we can get on a high horse and think, I can get the payback. Um, I'll get God into this as best as I can. No, 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 no. He says, leave room, he says, for the wrath of God. For it is written in any quotes here, Deuteronomy 32 and 35. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God is a most capable administrator. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't. And, you know... Pause. It may not be immediately. He says, God's going to take care of this and he's going to right wrongs and take care of it all. It may not be immediately. God's patient. I, you know why? I say, I'm thankful for that. He's been patient with me. As we read in this passage, or Jeff read to us this morning, Matthew, clobbered by that story. God gives time for repentance. Maybe that's the person who's wronged you, Maybe God's giving, he's giving them time for repentance. And I don't want to short circuit that and step in the way and mess it all up and get them distracted and send wrong messages about God and Christianity and the gospel. All right, with that said, now notice, but, see this in verse 20? That's a very strong adversative in the original. But, that, there is a course of action which is the opposite of the way of the flesh. That's it. But this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Now, this is 
actually kind of metaphorical language. That is, it doesn't mean that, okay, after that, feed them, give them something to drink, and then just bust them in the chops. Uh, he's not exhausting, no. What he's doing here is using these basic physiological needs that we all have. Using that as a reminder that uh, discover his or her need and meet it, whatever it is. So, Lord, help us with this process. Let's go further. So, help them, help them. You know, I'm reminded of David. This is not the time to expound this in Seconds in First Samuel 24:17. That episode with David, and and Saul was always on his tail. I mean, and he comes into a cave, to put it modestly, he came in there to relieve himself. Remember that? And David could have taken him out. He was back in the cave. He let him go out. He comes out and you know, they exchange things, courtesies, and Saul finally says, you are a man more righteous than I. I'm paraphrasing. You could have exacted your revenge, your vengeance, but you did not. You're more righteous than I. Well, we'll put uh, David apparently learned some lessons from Abigail, hadn't he? <laughs> Remember that from last week. Good message. So he says then, for in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. We'll treat that in a minute. There are a couple of ways you can turn that. Uh, we'll look at that. What exactly? What, what's he saying? Does that mean? Well, hold off on that for a moment. And he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, he's really, he's referring back to this entire section that he's been going through here. And the, the point being this, that when, to the degree that I give in to evil, that I let the wrong perpetrated against me, that I let it get to me, and that I don't handle it God's way, I'm being overcome by evil. And, you, and if do you, want it, do you want it a little more dark? I am really playing into the hands of the devil himself. That's what, but he's behind evil. This isn't just some, uh, some moral uh, story. Uh, it's about that story that's going on in the unseen world, the invisible warfare, Satan, who rules over evil. Oh, and don't forget this, evil is not a thing. I'm going to come to that. I'm anticipating some things. What is evil? We'll get to that. But he says, do not be overcome by evil. And instead, let it be over, overcome with good. All right, now, let me offer to you what I see as two, two truths that come up. Two truths. One is this. Evil is overcome by giving your enemies what they need, not what they deserve. Start there, verse 20. And that what I have to do is that I've got to engage in positive good. This is not simply a benign, reactive, passive kind of thing, not doing anything. We could fall into that and think, well, I didn't try to get after them, but maybe we're not doing the good, which is getting after them in the right way. And God's never, don't forget this. I know we're downstream from a lot of heavy truth, but don't forget, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By what? Wait a minute, I said that too fast. 
I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He's been merciful to us, like the, like the, uh, the, the man who, to whom was owed money. He had been shown mercy, and then he didn't have the self-awareness to see that he needed to do, in some measure, mercy toward one who owed him something. So let's pause for a moment here. I want to linger on this statement just a little bit. Let's say something about this statement, the wrath of God. Uh, I, it may kind of shock us here to see this right in the middle of it. And we think, ah, that's the makings of a good, great mo movie of vengeance. The wrath of God. Thunder, lightning, boom, pull them out of the water. Well, let's look at it for a moment. There are two ways the wrath of God is demonstrated. I'm doing this in summary fashion. There's, first of all, Revelation 19:15, And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of his fierce wrath, the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. There is the wrath of God that is going to come on all unbelief at the great white throne judgment seat. That's the final act. That's coming. However... There will be a judgment. Oh, that's the judgment of unbelievers. There will be a judgment of believers. The judgment seat of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 and other passages. And so God will exact justice. He'll, yeah, that's the gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. You ever think about that? You come before the Lord and it's judgment seat of Christ and God ferrets out. He, I mean, he knows everything. I mean, I, it's not going to be one of those things. Well, oh, whew, boy, oh, I'm glad God didn't think of that one. <laughs> no. So there will be that time when we account, give our account to God. Now, what our enemies need then is love. That's the need. Show kindness. One writer put it this way. Show kindness. Maybe they will become ashamed of their actions and seek the un. un underlying reason why we can respond with such love. All right, now's the time. Let's take the coals of fire thing. I'll, I'll be brief. There are those who say that this coals of fire mean that if you do what's right toward one who has wronged you, that what you will do to them is that you will enhance or aggravate their own shame. They'll think, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. Ah, oh, what? Ah, oh, yes. I've seen the way it's supposed to be. I don't like it. And then through time, through, through circumstance, they'll say, okay, I realize that um, I, it, this may happen. That's the way I should have responded, the way they're responding. That's the way some interpret this. Now, others, you get even good study Bibles. I've visited many of those to just see what they said and others say no no what's really at stake here is the whole issue don't forget the wrath of God and that the context is saying that what you're doing these coals of fire on the head is that what you are doing is that you're setting before them accountability that we all have to God God sees what they've done and takes that into account for their own judgment the judgment of God that's part of the judgment of God, which will eventuate in the judgment seat of Christ or in the final judgment, depending on who it is that has sinned against us, that has wronged us.
But in, in either case, I like the way one writer put it this way. Yes, God's judgment, but burning pangs of shame and contrition on their heads, which hopefully, not surely, will lead them to God's grace. And if it doesn't, and I'll add this, if it doesn't, they're being held accountable for far much more when the books are open. You know that in Revelation 19, God's going to open the books and there are going to be an account for the degrees of sin and all the sins that, sins that have been committed. That's, in the, that's a mini message waiting to be treated right there, but let's keep that in mind, this burning coals. Leave it in God's hands. Leave it in God's hands. He'll take care of it. So leave the punishment to God. Don't take justice into your own hands. The future judgment frees, God's future judgment frees believers from taking revenge on their enemies. Actually, it's a liberating thing. I, I hope that'll come through here, what we're going to be looking at in these, in these verses. So, all right, here we stand. First principle, I see this is coming up. Evil is overcome by doing what? Giving our enemies what they need, what they deserve. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to do that. Because my impulse could be certainly contrary to that. Lord, you know, we really got to get our thinking right here. You, I, I think too often we put it on emotion control rather than thinking control. It ought to be, let's get our thinking right. Just briefly, briefly. Think according to the gospel. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, what kind of condition was I in when you came to me and you plucked me off the dunghill of life and you cleaned me up and gave me, cleansed my conscience, gave me a new life in Christ and forgave me. I'm no longer under any condemnation. Thank you, Lord, for the greatest gift. Go thou and give the gift of forgiveness and kindness to others, those who've wronged you. So that's part of my thinking. And another part of the thinking that, that's involved here is that I've got to be thinking according to my resources in Christ. Because what this really does, it should, is really humble us. Lord, you know how I want justice. Now, some of us may be more wired toward that than others. I understand how you've had children. Have you ever noticed some, one child, you can, one child just, look, they're going to get justice in life. That's coming out of the womb. They're ready. I want justice. And you know, have another child's just a little more calm about it. Yeah, things will take care of themselves. All right. Let's don't put things in that, uh, thoughts in that basket. Think of the, put your thoughts in this basket. That we need to think according to the resources that we have in Christ. It is possible to overcome evil. Christ is to be our main joy. Main joy. For example, just briefly, take a person who is remaining single. They wish to be married, and they see their friends getting married left and right. You know, what does they say? Those wedding bells are breaking up, the little gang of mine. Right? Not a good time to remind this if I had a college audience. Oh, okay, the, the, the fishing pond just got a bit smaller. <laughs> what do you do? But you know, this can, for a Christian, this for a Christian, this can become a time of some kind of a, an agenda. You can even get ticked at God. Hey, Lord, hmm, all right, I'll stay with this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I have resources in Christ, and he will enable me. 
He will enable me with the joy that I know and found in him that he's given to me in Christ by the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, resources. All right, let's go to the second. I see a second truth that comes up out of this passage. Is this. Evil is overcome by the power, by the power of released by God's grace. Ah, oh, well, let's get into it. We're really going to get up to our ears in this one. A little bit longer on this thought. First of all, let's uh, just never forget that our culture is steeped in evil. We don't live in a benign world <laughs> as if we needed any reminders. Victimology is everywhere. Are you, have you found your victim class yet? Huh? Huh? Yeah, find, find it. Because then that will give you the moral high ground. You can say what you think, do what you want. And no, you, well, bad, bad, bad. Let your love triumph over your enemy's hostility. What is evil? Let's take it, turn it a little bit on the lave of biblical statement and speak truth to it. Evil is not a thing. It's the absence of. To put it bluntly, it's the absence of God's righteousness. It's the absence of truth and light and goodness. That's what it is. And it's used seven, this word evil is used 17 times in the book of Romans. But what, and what we see, evil is really privation. It's a lack of some good thing. I, I wrote this down. I thought it was helpful here that I found this. Evil could exist in a good thing as an imperfection in it, like a hole in a piece of wood. Hence, it does not follow that God is the author of something evil. Evil is not something. The reality of evil does not necessarily imply that it is a substance or a thing. Uh, is darkness a thing? No. Darkness is the absence of light. Cold, is it a thing? It's the absence of warmth. And this is evil. So, think of it this way. We, therefore, have to resist it. That's what we're called to do, resist it. We have to resist retaliation. Don't let it overcome you. Don't let it get you by the neck. Don't let it defeat you. And what is it? Someone's put it this way. Revenge is when the person who has injured me is himself injured. Lord, help us here. Now, anger, anger comes in here. This matter of resistance. We've all got a capacity for anger. It shows in different ways. But what are we going to do with it? Uh, well, the Bible says it quite bluntly. Control it and deal with it. There's a lot of anger out there. And it's in me. I saw on the front page of the AJC this morning that uh, after COVID-19, you know what's gotten worse? Traffic. And you know what's gotten worse in traffic? People who are grumpy. I think they use some kind of kind. Of, that, that people are, they're mean. Well, present company excluded. But people are mean. Hey, I'll, listen, I have a right to this place in traffic. Okay, anger, we know that. But, uh, okay, this is not the time to, uh, to expound and unpack all that's regard with anger, but I will tell you, it's a very, it's a, it's a noxious, it's an intoxicating thing. 
And he gets in with this resisting. What do we do with it? It's righteous anger. Aha! Taking that insult that brings to us, in, God's righteousness being insulted, and we take it personally. Hold it carefully. All right. And fighting back. Let's throw this in. What's wrong with fighting back? Well, fighting back blurs our perception of things. We don't see everything. I mentioned this a bit earlier. I understand that, but I want to underscore it. I'm not telling you to run out and watch the movie, but I do watch an occasional movie. If you want to see a story of vengeance and getting things wrong, there's an old movie. It was made back, I think, 1940, The Oxbow Incident. It was made based on a novel. That was a story of how you can really mess things up when you think you're seeking justice. It's like fighting fire with gasoline. Not a good idea. <laughs> so, wars. You know what James says? James 4.1, note this. James says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members, whether it's in the home, in school, community, the church, the nation? Oh, that's a message all its own, isn't it? What's going on in our nation? Every day, some shooting. And then all the anger that erupts in response to it, you know, it's just like, it's a tsunami. It's ugly. Another thing, another factor here, add this in, that evil is not overcome by evil. I know I've said this, implied this, the text does, you will not overcome evil with good, not with more evil. The evil of revenge does not overcome evil. The evil of anger does not overcome evil. The evil of unbelief does not overcome evil. The evil of suffering does not overcome evil. The evil of death does not overcome evil. You know that Peacemaker book, uh, you remember the little card that came with the Peacemaker session? Remember this? This is a really, a, he nails it. Ken Sandy is, he, he points out this fact that there are escape responses, the slippery slope. And here, talk about dealing with it, with uh, seeking to get payback, set the record straight. And then on one side of the slippery slope, he's got, there are escape responses. There are different ways we can seek to get, get into an agenda of payback. And he mentions, well, there's denial, like, well, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> or flight. Hey, I'm leaving this family. I'm leaving this church. I'm leaving this community. I'm leaving. Just getting away. At least psychologically, just checking out. And then suicide. A form of revenge. Payback. I've done funerals for suicides. Oh, are they prickly. You see a row, rows of families sitting there as mad as can be. And you you're there to give comfort and hope. As he got his revenge, payback, did it right in front of his wife, blew his brains out. Awful. Oh, where the human heart can go with seeking revenge and payback. And then on this little slippery slope, then there are those what are called attack responses. Litigation. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's fertile territory. Got plenty of lawyers out there. Assault. And then murder, God forbid. All right, so it is. Now, let's look at it a little more. Evil is overcoming. I want to put it this way. I'm right at this point. I'm trying to squeeze Mark 11 and 25 really hard. 
which says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. All right, I'm going to squeeze that a little bit more. Still on this same thought, just two main thoughts here. And it's this. Evil is overcome by traveling on the road of love and forgiveness. God, keep me on that road. Now, what can keep me on that road, which I can easily get off of? That what it means is that I never allow the devil to overcome me. I'm not going to let sin overcome me. Never, I do not want to lose the peace of God. Oh, it's such a sweet, such a good thing. It's an honoring to Christ. When we let evil make us lose self-control, we are overcome by evil. Do you have a problem with self-control? I do. I need help. We need to forgive when reconciliation is not possible. That's, you remember, we will walk through those. There's full reconciliation, partial reconciliation, and none. And there are biblical guidelines for every one of those areas. Forgive when the reconciliation is not possible. And forgive indefinitely. You saw the passage? Isn't that a kick in the shins? What do you say? 70 times 7? Seven? 7 times 7. I remember my multiplication table. So 490 times. Is that it? You keep record? Got a little book? I'm, oh, I'm up to 450. No, you know. Forgive when the pain is enduring. So we're not, it's not suggested we say forgive. That the hurt, the pain, the memories, that you don't get flashbacks, that you don't feel some of the consequences. Somebody betrays you. Somebody walks out in your life and there's a hole there or there's hurt and there's damage that's done. We're not saying play like, oh, everything is just wonderful. Well, it may not be wonderful. But what? Wait a minute. The road of love and forgiveness, I manage those things. There will be bumps in the road. And I've got to... I've got to release the wrong into God's loving, sovereign hands. This is a test of the gospel in my life. Now, I want to give you something. I want to do this. I'm still trying to follow the flow of Mark 11:25. I want to go to this Ephesians passage. I've memorized this passage. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I had to do it. They're just passages that I have to memorize. There are a lot of them, and I need to call them up a lot. <laughs> and singing in the ambassador choir in 1962 and 3 helped me with this. Beth could, Beth and I, we could, could we sing this for the congregation? <laughs> the song was grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And I got to be careful. I won't try to get off point here with cadence and so forth. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then, I think the Sopranos came in here and out of, be kind one to another. So, here, okay. No extra charge there. Let, let, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Here's the passage. Here it is in context. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Okay, and then let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
So where do we start with this then? I'm still, I wanna, I'm trying to give us some direction. How do you drive down the road of love and forgiveness? There are some road signs. Here's one of them. Is that we have to control our tongue. Do we not? not and that's not just being quiet about the hurt. You, you can watch out. But we must choose our words carefully. God, give me wisdom. The thing through what I'm about to say and to be aware of to whom I'm about to say it. Seek godly advisors. This is part of this road travel. Uh, don't get isolated. That's a danger. Some find, some find that it's easy, have found that it's easy. If you grew up in a home, I can give some personal testimony to this, that you're in a home where there is a lot of discord and there are a lot of wrongs left and right just flying by you and you can find a quiet place, you can retreat, and you've learned the art of going out and getting behind the barn or whatever, at least psychologically. But don't get isolated. Uh, keep doing what's right. This is not just people pleasing, but do what is right to prove to everybody what is right. Oh, we, don't we need examples? Lord, give me examples. I thank you for those that I do have. And recognize your limits, if possible, as it depends on you. We've been through that back in verse 18, taking that into account. And what's the ultimate weapon here on this? It's deliberate. It's keep your eyes on the speedometer here and on the signs. And it is this, focus love. I, I like this. It just occurred to me. Uh, got to watch out for those things. But I, on my, in my automobile, I have now, it shows me the speed limit. Um, it, it pops up. Oh, do I need that? Yeah, I do at times. Uh, doing good can also help bring another person to repentance. Doing good can protect you from bitterness and resentment. Counteract the lies which Satan throws at us. Be careful. Romans 12, 16, 17. Just look over your shoulder at that one for a moment. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Be, never be wise in your own sight. So we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I would add this. Came to mind. We need to remove the pick line of bitterness from our spiritual veins. You know what that is. P-I-C-C. And let's turn it another way. Is there bitterness that's feeding your agenda, your thoughts, your relationships? I think I have seen this over the long term in somewhat. God will be the final judge of this. I could be incorrect. But I have seen where it seems that some wrong committed has really turned someone else into another kind of person. And not necessarily easy discernible, but easily discernible, but it can do that and make you something that's not pretty. So, uh, there is that warning and concern. Now, I want to do a little something kind of out of the ordinary here. I came across this. This was what one pastor experienced. And I thought, this is really useful. I think I could find something comparable, but I thought this was really quite helpful. And this pastor was listening to AM radio. Pray to God that they don't ban AM radios from automobiles. 
And what he heard in that, uh, on that radio program was this. Here's what he heard. It was a Christian uh, program. And as Pastor says, and the question that was presented in this little talk was, do you harbor resentment? Then you are, and I'm quoting you, then you are poisoning your own meal at life's banquet table. Imagine your mind as a little shop of horrors, a kind of museum filled with relics and all, of all injustices and harm you've ever endured. Each exhibit depicts your memory of someone, what's, what someone did or didn't do that hurt you. Brightly illuminated by your resentment, every exhibit has a soundtrack echoing with loud, angry, and accusing voices. The walls are covered with horrible instruments of punishment and long list of penalties to be inflicted of your wrongdoings, doers, on your wrongdoers, and coating everything in thick, clinging residue of self-pity that keeps you from moving along to the new future's wing of your museum. Where the exhibits are filled with pleasure and joy and possibilities. Can you imagine what it would be, would it be like to be locked permanently inside a chamber of horror and hate and resentment? If you're unable to forgive others for <clears throat> real or imagined wrongs, then what then that horror chamber exists within you. That chamber of ill will is your own mind. I, it goes on with another paragraph or two, but this took another turn. This pastor was recounting this, and this pastor heard that, and he sent this along to someone, and then he got an email back from it. Uh, emails. <laughs> they can be a blessing or a bane. Uh, this one I think is helpful. I want to read what a person heard this. This pastor reminded them of this. Apparently it was a counseling situation somewhat. And this is what that person sent back in an email to what I just read to you. You got that? And all right, here's what he says. There was such a chamber in my soul, and the pain etched it deep into the grooves of my mind. A godly person helped me to bridge the way to the new future's wing of my life's museum. Hmm. Her soul care advised that my pain needed a voice. As long as I ignored the pain, it was like looking into a mirror and not seeing a reflection of something that was very real. So one day, I had a funeral service. I had a funeral service for my dreams of my childhood that died. And the loving ideas I had about my mom and dad. I had to die to those. The reality was that my mom and dad left bleeding lashes on the face of my soul. That day, I took flowers to the chosen grave site and candle, and a candle. I placed the flowers on the ground and blew out the candle of hope, the hope that my parents would rise to meet me at the level of my dreams. 
I invited God to the ceremony that day and shed my tears in his presence. I knew the pain would echo into the future in days to come. So I asked God to just help me suffer well and trust him for how he would redeem my future. It has been a long obedience in the same direction over many years. And God has been faithful indeed. The pain is still there on occasion. But the pain and anger have lost their power over me. The wound has become a scar because healing has taken place. Oh, oh dear friends, beloved, are there wounds that have been inflicted on you and me and perhaps wounds that I've inflicted on others? I can be oblivious to those. So hum we must humble ourselves before God and let our thoughts run quickly to the cross of Christ. Was there ever anyone who was more misunderstood, more maligned? <laughs> His family thought he was crazy. His brothers didn't believe him, were sarcastic with him. Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Hey, why don't you go on down to Jerusalem? Lose some disciples down there. Whew. His brothers, his disciples, failing, denying him, running away, being betrayed. And then he gets beaten to a pulp, to a bloody pulp. He's mocked, laughed at, crown of thorns, crushing down on his brow piercing those sensitive vessels in the head, lashes on his back, enough to kill a person, just all that. And you know why? He's being tortured for my sin. He's being tortured for my own seeking of revengeance, for what I want to do in payback. He was showing, this is the way you handle payback. Father, to thy hands I commend my spirit. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He gave up his spirit. And he died on that cross. But he came out of the grave. And there is the power, the overcoming power of Jesus Christ to do what? To make it possible for me to do the impossible. To forgive those who don't seem to deserve forgiveness like I didn't. So Lord, help me. So that I may live, a, live and leave a trail of gospel living in my life. And when they stand at my funeral, Whatever they want to say around the gravesite or the mausoleum or whatever memorial service, they will think there is a person who knew how to forgive as he had been forgiven, as she had been forgiven. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for our Savior. Oh, God, you've done so much for us. And we're so ungrateful at times. We just get off into these mental fogs. Lord, thank you for the resurrection life of Christ, his death for us. And Lord, if there's one here this morning who's never put his or her trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, bring them to their knees this day to receive that gift, that suffering which was in our place so that we may redeem our own suffering and death and so sin may not overcome us. So help us. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.